fear, your love is strong, it is furious. Your love is sweet, your love is wild, and it's waking hearts to life. Your love is deep, your love is wide, and it covers us. Your love is fierce, your love is strong, it is furious. Your love is sweet, your love is wild, and you wake. Good morning. Welcome to Rimrock Church. My name's Tom. If we haven't met, it's uh, just exciting to see you here today on this beautiful day. And uh, yeah, so we just want to lift up the name of Jesus and enjoy him and enjoy each other. All right. This is a tune that we wrote uh, several years back. We were doing a series in Ephesians. And in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about all of us being soldiers in the faith and that we need to put on the armor of God. So it goes like this. One, two, one. Put on the armor of God so you can stand against the devil's king. Our war is not the flesh and blood, but evil we can see. And in His power you stand your ground through evil days to come. Put on the armor of God and you will stand until the battle's won. The belt of truth protects your mind. His righteousness guards your heart. I lace up your shoes and run to tell the peace, good news, and power. Come on! Put on the armor of God so you can stand against the devil's feet. Our war is not with flesh and blood, but You stand your ground through evil days to come. Put on the armor of God and you will stand until the battle's won. The shields of faith reject the lies. The evil one shoots out. I pick up your sword, the word of God, then sing and shout it out. Sing it, come on. Put on the armor of God so you can stand against the devil's feet. Cause our war is not with flesh and blood. You stand your ground through evil days to come. Put on the armor of God and you will stand until the battle's won. Amen. Put on the armor of God. Let's sing that chorus together. Come on. Put on the armor of God so you can stand against the devil's schemes. Because our war is not with flesh and blood, but evil we can see. That's right. And in his power, you'll stand your ground through evil days to come. Put on the armor of God and you will stand until 
the battle is won. Amen. That's good news for today, is it not? Let's do this. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my brought me from the darkness into glorious Yeah. 
seated we're gonna oh we're gonna watch a video And uh, if you think back to your own family, um, your own story, someone came into your life who shared. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a grandparent. Maybe it was uh, another family member. Maybe it was a neighbor. Maybe it was a stranger who showed up and and shared the good news of Jesus. And so this uh, coming Sunday, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, we're going to have Fall Philip. And it's a it's a time where we come together as a church to take up a, a Thanksgiving offering. At 5 p.m., we're going to have a, a meal, and uh, it's going to be uh, different foods from around the world uh, that are represented right here in Rapid City, and we're going to uh, serve food right out there, and we're going to eat in here. So all this space is going to be uh, filled with tables, and we're going to have a meal together and celebrate and thank God. But our focus this year is really the mission that Jesus gave us to go and make disciples, not only right here in Rapid City and around our country, but around the world. And so uh, we have people, because we can't all go, uh, we have people that have been sent from Rimrock to take the message of Jesus to different people groups around the world. And we're going to take up an offering uh, to support them, to bless them, uh, just like the Philippian church did with Paul, right? As we go through the series, the Philippian church gave to Paul so that the gospel could advance. So that's coming up next Sunday. I'm Pastor Ben Green, and I want to welcome you to, to Rimrock. If you're here uh, for the, the first time, or maybe you've come uh, one or two times, we want to welcome you. There's a, a card in front of your seat, and uh, I would invite you to fill that out so we can reach out to you, we can get to know you, and, and make connection with you, and share what's going on here at Rimrock Church. So you could either put that in the offering, or there's a table, uh, a little counter in the back where you can take that, and there's a little gift there. For you, so we want to we want to welcome you to our community here. We believe we're a, a community. Our vision is a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. We're all works in progress. <laughs> Jesus not only rescues us from our sin, but then He works in our lives and He's changing us. And so, uh, at the 10:30 hour, we have a community membership class. And maybe you've been attending for a while, or been part of Rimrock, or maybe you're new, but you want to uh, go deeper into what it means to be 
a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. And so at 10.30, we're going to have a, a group in the gathering place, and we'd invite you to come and check it out. And you're not committing to anything by just showing up, but you can learn more about what that means for us. Well, this past week was a, a significant week for us as American citizens. We uh, celebrated Veterans Day, and uh, that's very important to us because we realize that the freedoms that we uh, enjoy every day came at a cost, that people are willing to serve and lay down their lives. And so if you're here this morning and you've served in any of our branches of the military, would you be willing to stand so we can honor you and thank you? Could we have you stand if you've served in the military? All right. Let's be there. Let's... Thank you guys so much for your service, uh, girls and, and men, men and women. That, uh, and I, I want to thank not just you, but your families, because we all know that there's a lot that is given up in that, uh, in serving our country, and so that requires the whole family. And so we honor you, we thank you, and we praise God for you. Um, and so would you join me in praying this morning? Lord, as we gather here this morning, we are uh, made aware and reminded that the only way we came into relationship with you is through sacrifice. That Jesus, you laid down your life. And you, as he says in Philippians, you gave this example that you did not grasp, you did not hold on to equality with God, but you made yourself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And we thank you for those who've served our country, who've uh, set aside um, many different things in order to dedicate themselves to service and for the good of, of our freedom and our our country and our, our, the things that we enjoy every day, Lord. And so we thank you for these men and women who've served, who are here this morning. We thank you for those in our country who've served, Lord. We pray special blessing on them, special protection. Lord, we pray for those who are currently serving as well, Lord, aware that uh, many of them face hardships and dangers, difficulties. We pray for protection. And we pray that they would uh, come to know you, Lord, and find peace and joy and hope with you, Lord. Lord, please bless our land, bless our nation. Lord, we need you desperately. We need an awakening in our land to be reminded that our hope, our trust has to come from you. That's where all source of blessing is. So help us, God. Help us as a nation to find that our need for you is just as real today as it was in the past, Lord. Lord, please, uh, as we gather, as we worship, may you, by your Holy Spirit, uh, lift us up, encourage us to see your glory, your goodness, and your plan and purpose for each of our lives as we sing, as we hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing this together. In the darkness we were waiting without hope without a light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt come on let's Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King. whole creation you did not despise a cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you thank you Lord praise him come on 
Just continue your work in our hearts, God. You have drawn most of us in this room, maybe everybody in this room, drawn us to yourselves, God. And it's been a blessing. Wow, it's been an amazing ride. And yet, God, you have more for us. And right now, you're going to speak more through Nick. God, Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you help us to hear? We need you, Lord. Amen. Hey guys, if you can, would you stay up? <laughs> Getting up and down is hard for some of us, right? So you're welcome. <clears throat> uh, we're going we're gonna to stand up because I'm going to read you uh, Philippians 2, 19 through 30, and then we'll, we'll dive into the context in the sermon. So if you guys would, uh, just in honor of God's word, uh, follow along on the screens. So Philippians 2, verse 19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to meet my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, 
lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You may be seated. Thank you. So if you will remember, uh, if you've been here uh, for a few weeks, in the book of Philippians, this is Paul, is the author, and he's, he's writing to his Philippian friends. And early on in the letter, he declares how thankful he is to his friends, and he, he considers them partners in the gospel. He continues to talk about their partnership in this gospel message. And the gospel probably can be defined in, in endless ways, but uh, I think... It, We'll talk about it a lot today, and really, I am, I'm considering the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the center of the gospel. Uh, I know uh, Bill and Ben have talked about the, the gravitational pull of all of life, and so when we think through the gospel, the word really means good news, and so the, the idea that, that God desires to establish a kingdom, and that kingdom is only realized and empowered by the person of Jesus Christ for his glory. And so when we talk about gospel, Christ must be at the center. And the purpose is to advance the kingdom of God, first in my heart and then in the world around me. In Philippians, you can feel Paul's passion for this advancement. You can feel um, his deep, deep desire for all the things in his life to continue to move forward in building and advancing the kingdom of God. In verse 12, chapter 1, he says that even his imprisonment is making Christ known. So Philippians is, is Paul, Paul's letter as he's in prison writing to his friends and ministry partners. And he says, even my imprisonment God is using to, to make himself famous amongst the guards, uh, amongst the prisoners, and even from here because it's a, a gripping and telling story. In Philippians 1.20, Paul says, Christ will be honored by my life or my death. And the famous 21 says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so in one, we see this passion, this desire. We see these relationships that are um, friendships to Paul, and, but all of it is focused and centered on this man's uh, sold-out desire for the glory of God uh, elevating the person of Jesus Christ. And then as we pivot, as he pivots into chapter 2, uh, the first half of chapter 2, so right before we get into our text for the day, uh, Paul points us to Jesus Christ being our example of humility. He's encouraging us away from self-centeredness. He tells us to consider others as more important than ourselves, where we're called to look to their interests. And he says, Christ Jesus has been the ultimate picture of this when he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so as we get into uh, the second half of chapter 2, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, uh, part of what I think is happening here is, is Paul is saying, we, we looked at Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, but let me show you a couple other models. Let me show you what this looks like in, in other people's lives. Let me show you what this looks like in my friends' lives. And so initially, it really feels just like Paul is describing uh, some travel plans that, that he has, his desire to, to journey, if he gets out of prison, to the Philippians. But he's also saying, hey, I have this real strong desire to send Timothy to you. I have this real strong desire to send Epaphroditus to you. And certainly those are, are real things and real desires. But more than simple travel plans, more than just trying to connect friends, uh, he is showing us that, that Timothy and Epaphroditus are models of what he just explained in Christ Jesus. He pulled out these virtues of others-centered, others-oriented. He pulled out these virtues of people who have become obedient to the point of sacrifice. Ben just prayed. And he's saying, here's two that have modeled that beautifully. Let me show you what it looks like if you're going to live like Christ. And so even in Paul's relationships, there's this constant stream of advancement for the gospel. Now, now, don't hear me wrong. It is easy to use people for our agenda, right? 
And you can even do that in ministry or for good causes. You can use your friends to accomplish your own agenda. And I don't see this as what Paul's doing. We continue to feel this love. We continue to feel this passion. We continue to feel this thankfulness. And in, in some of the verses here, we even see Paul's deep need for his friends. And so even though Paul, the, the great missionary evangelist, this guy's driven, right? I mean, he is focused. He's a mover and a shaker. And here we see his deep need for his friends. In verse 27, it says, God had mercy on me. He spared me sorrow. How did he do that? Through a friend. Through Epaphroditus, he says. With friends, sorrows are cut in half and joys are doubled. Christians, we need friends. Paul says uh, he was anxious, and by God's mercy, through the sending of Epaphroditus to him and for his desire to send him out, it says, that made me less anxious. Think about the, the sorrows that you experience. How many, many times, the only way to get through those things is with people by your side. And that's the body of Christ. That's what we just sang about. That's what I get to experience. I didn't pray to start this sermon out loud with you guys because I realized that I have brothers and sisters praying for me when I'm up here. I got people right now giving me prayer coverage. And so I'm going to ride their encouragement. I'm going to ride their words and the Holy Spirit through them to carry us. That doesn't mean I'm never going to pray again. Uh, but point being, I think as Christians, we need to recognize and consider the value of our friends and the value of relationship. And so many times I get this wrong, where I try to, I guess, use them to further my kingdom. And how different is that from locking shields with brothers and sisters to further God's kingdom? I hope you strengthen my hand in the Lord, and I hope I strengthen your heart in the Lord. And I think that's one thing Paul's pulling out here. He talks of Timothy, and he says, This man is a servant. He's genuinely concerned for you. And contrary to the others, what we just pulled out, he isn't interested in himself, but he's interested in Christ. So who are you encouraging? Who are the people in your life that God is asking you to affirm, to praise, to uplift? In verse 29, it says we're to honor those that show Christ's likeness in their lives. He says, honor such men and women. So maybe that's a a letter today that you write. Maybe it's a small text. Maybe it's looking somebody in the eye and telling them how glad you are that they're a part of your church and that you're a part of theirs. Maybe it's your son or daughter. Maybe it's your aging parents. Maybe it's an acquaintance that you know from a great, great distance away, but he has continued, or she has continued to show you what love looks like. So often we wait for funerals to do this. Let's do it when people are living. Who's God asking you to pour courage onto? Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Most of the time in my life, I think God just impresses something on me about someone else. And my dad has taught me for years that that is theirs, and my call is to give that to him. So God puts a, an encouragement on my heart, and he says, I, it's probably from the Holy Spirit, rightly given to this person in front of you or this person on the other line. And so your job is to hand that to them, simply as an ambassador, as a, as a vessel for God, to, to, to pour strength onto each other. Because we know in a world that uh, beats you down pretty easy, circumstances get tough. I know I, I fail it quite a bit. But every once in a while, if we get things right, let's let each other know. He says about Epaphroditus, he calls him a fellow worker and a soldier, ready to die and nearly did die for the gospel. I believe that as Christians, we are designed and we are called to be students. Proverbs is full of seeking out wisdom above all else. We're called to pursue knowledge and wisdom and the things of God, primarily in his word, sitting at church, conversations with godly people, entering into quiet prayer. I truly believe we're called to be students, but we're also called to be soldiers. And I don't know about you, but when I 
consider the evil of this world, when I consider the hatred of this world, and when I consider the enemy that is looking to rob, steal, and destroy, I want a group of soldiers around me, not just students. I personally believe that student might be first, so we know where we're aiming and we know what we're fighting. But at some point, that has to turn into a soldier. Verse 25, when he calls Epaphroditus soldiers, I think he has a few things in mind. And when I think of soldiers, I think those who have the same agenda, people who are moving in the same direction, people who are serving for the same purpose, people who have locked shields to advance the same kingdom of God and love, that we're moving in the same direction. This says we're to have one mind, to be unified. That doesn't mean we're always going to agree on every little detail. But I think at the heart of this, when your desire and my desire is to glorify God, then we walk side by side and say, where are we going? What's this look like? I had a friend that I spoke to last week, and he's trying to contemplate his relationship with this woman. And for a long time, he was kind of desperate for her. And there was trouble, probably because of that desperation and because of that neediness. And God has continued to grow him in his security in Christ. He's continued to show him his primary allegiance is towards the glory of God. And last week, I I loved listening to him say, I am moving in this direction to know God, to pursue God, and to make him known. I would love for you to be by my side. But if that doesn't work for you, that's okay. I'm continuing to move in this direction. Where his primary allegiance as a citizen of heaven, as a bond slave of Christ, as a soldier of God, his primary allegiance is to his king. And in Paul, you see this, because it's really easy. You can start to bulldoze people for that. Or you can start to feel like all that means is you only listen to Christian music and you only hand out gospel tracts. That's not what I'm talking about. Paul enters into these relationships in love and in service for their sake, but ultimately to glorify his God. And I think if that's not what we're doing in our families, if that's not what we're doing in our friendships, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Christ if my primary desire is not to glorify him? Epaphroditus was willing to die for Christ. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, he's a soldier, and you remember his little, his resume is of suffering and hardship. He says, I was in prison, I was beaten, I was near death. Five times I had 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, I was shipwrecked, I was stoned, I was without food. This man endured tons of hardship, and he continued to advance the gospel. In fact, after stoning, where they left him for dead, says he got up, brushed himself off, and he went in and started preaching the next day. <laughs> this guy knew what he was about. His whole life for the gospel. Again, he continues to point and he says, you, you need to continue to draw motivation from others. Chapter 2.8, Christ is your motivation. Christ is is not only your example, Christ is your life, Christ is your power, who became obedient to the point of death. Why? Verse 11 says, to the glory of God the Father. Your whole life for the gospel, your whole life for the kingdom, your whole life within the kingdom. I think some of us, some of you, some of you lions need to remember how to roar. I have watched, actually, I'm gonna, I am going to address a generation older than me with, with tons of respect and tons of honor. I have observed lately the generation that's older than me has, have, with their extra time, they have been immersed and obsessed with current culture, with current news, where I listen to conversation after conversation, and it is occupying, I think it's distracting. And I need to hear you roar. I need you to show me 
and those under me what you're about. You're too old to do anything about the current culture anyways. All you can do is fret about it and make me worry about it. So I want to see men and women who are obsessed with the glory of the Father. And I know sometimes that moves into culture, but I want to see the simplicity of the gospel, where your allegiance is to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And if things get close to that, they get to be involved. But ultimately, I want you to continue to roar in the direction of glorifying God so I know what it looks like to follow you. Amen? Amen. Where's your allegiance? We're talking about soldiers. We're talking about roaring. And don't get me wrong. I, to be a Christian, I truly believe you need an aggressive heart. I believe you need to be willing to engage in battle. Ultimately, to be a killer, but the killer is your own pride. To kill your flesh. To kill self-centeredness. To kill my egocentric view of the world. But many, many times, that aggressive heart plays out in a gentle spirit, does it not? Again, let's look at Jesus. Many times he's aggressive and firm, but so often the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, is kindness, is gentleness, is self-control. So yes, I totally believe you need something within you that remembers that you're a victor, that you are housed with the Lion of Judah, that you are a soldier. But many, many times that's going to play itself out with you quit raising your voice at your spouse. Quit using your aggression or your anger to control people. Quit criticizing everything that he does. Encourage one another in the Lord. To me, that's what aggressive looks like. The enemy continues to lure me to self-centeredness. The enemy continues to lure me to my flesh patterns. And I need to unite in the power of God that says, I'm going to choose humility. Power under control. Allegiance to the king. I got my uh, Voice of the Martyrs magazine, and I want to read you guys a story. So Paul gives us this picture of Timothy, Epaphroditus. We get a picture of Paul. Ultimately, it's all pointing to Jesus. But here's one for our modern day. Uh, this takes place in northern Ethiopia. There's a man named Negesi, and he was uh, practicing witchcraft. He opened up a pharmacy to kind of combine business, witchcraft, to heal and to help people. And a man came to him and asked him to heal his sister because his sister had become a Christian. And so he attributed that to the most evil in the world. And so she must be demonic. She had some sicknesses going on, so he promised to heal her. Uh, he forgot all about it. The man paid him. Uh, he didn't do anything, and so they threw him in prison for three years and ten months. And as he suffered in prison for his crimes, Negesi began to think God was punishing him for practicing witchcraft. He feared the consequence of his sin, even more than death. The start of repentance. The start of humility. The start of recognizing he may need a savior. He may need a rescuer. Then one day he cried out to God with a broken spirit, I know I am a sinner, and I don't deserve to be in your home with you in heaven, he prayed. But if there is any place outside of your home for me, please allow me to go there. And so he became a student first. And he began reading lots of different religious uh, Bibles. One of them was an Ethiopian Orthodox Bible. And every time he picked it up, he continued to fall asleep. And then he read what we would consider the, the Word of God, 66 books our traditional Bible, and he said every time he read it, he was captivated. And after a deeper study of the life and teaching of Jesus, he concluded that salvation was found through faith in Christ alone. And then he began telling all the other prisoners about Christ and what his discovery was. So he's causing some trouble all of a sudden in prison, and so the guards learned of him sharing the gospel, and they ordered him to stop, which he refused. They transferred him to a maximum security cell, and they placed shackles on his legs. In the meantime, he became friends with Ephraim, and he too was imprisoned for witchcraft and not promise, or taking money, essentially. And he began to study the word, and in John 14, 6, he read, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So eventually, Ephraim places his faith in Christ, faith in Christ 
And he and Negesi soon become close friends, and together they begin evangelizing their fellow prisoners. Well, because of this, prison guards put Negesi in solitary confinement, and they send a prisoner named Denwa to him to check on him and give him his daily rations. What do you suppose happens next? So these two become friends, and as Danwa continued to be exposed to him, he saw the kindness of his friend, and he began to listen to the teachings of Jesus. And he had this desire to know him personally, but he said he doesn't think he can follow him because he feared the repercussions. Then I said, when persecution comes, I'm not going to stand with you. And like Paul, Negesi encouraged his friend with passages from John 16 and in Romans 8, explaining that trials and tribulations and persecutions are all part of following Christ. And eventually, Dena put his faith in him. Well, Dena's family and his father was so angry that he wrote the prison guards, and he wrote the, the head of the, the warden, basically, and said, as soon, even after his um, time for release comes up, keep my son behind bars. And so here's his son's response. I like prison. I can read my Bible every day here, so don't worry about it. After word began spreading to local pastors, Christian pastors, that there were three prisoners sharing the gospel, they came to visit them to encourage them. And the three prisoners were ecstatic that this same gospel message, building the kingdom through the person of Jesus Christ, wasn't just theirs. They didn't know that people around their village, people in their country were sharing and proclaiming Jesus. So as they're ministering to the prisoners, the pastors are ministering outside of prison. Well, eventually they got released, and they realized sometimes following Christ in northern Ethiopia is harder free than behind bars. Nagasi's wife divorced him and took their daughter. Denwa didn't know a single Christian in his village and faced continual threats. In fact, one day he was out taking care of his cows, and he was sleeping in the field, and God woke him up, and he rushed home, and his family had been tied inside their home and their house uh, on fire. But God sent him, doesn't always happen, but God sent him in time where he untied it, and his family escaped. And here's what he says about that. I was not upset when my home was destroyed, because I knew the Lord had led me to sleep with the cows, and he had allowed me to save my family. As I was watching my house burn... The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came to my mind. The same thing happened to me. They were asking me to worship another god, and I said no. So they tried to convince me with fire, but our home is in heaven. They only burned my earthly house, so my heart is not full of hatred, and I pray for them. When asked why he stayed in his village under continual threat of death, Dina explained that he has no fear of death. My life belongs to God, and I believe he put me here. I don't know why he wants me to stay here, but I believe he's working. If he allows me to be killed, I am ready to die. If he wants to save my entire village, then I just have to be patient. Jesus died on the cross, not underground, so that's where I want to die, out in the open. That's the ultimate expression of the gospel. Negesi later on thanked the man who turned him into the authorities. He said, I thank God that you put me in prison because this is where I found Jesus. He's now a student at Bible school and he desires to become a full-time pastor. He has used all the money that he has paid back to the people that he robbed. Although the man who first put him in prison, he's thankful for, he says he's my friend and he's not yet a believer, so pray for him. So whether it's Paul or whether it's Nagasi or whether it's Epaphroditus, God has called us to further his kingdom. And what Paul had in him, and Agassi had in him, and you have in you, what's your name? Is Jesus Christ. And so Philippians 1.27 says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. John Mark Comer says, Our time is our life, and our attention is the doorway to our hearts. So my question for myself and my question for you is, what are you putting your time to? What are you giving your attention to? Because whatever occupies your attention and whatever occupies your time begins to define what your life looks like. What are you about? I pray that the people who know me, the people who are close to me, the people who are far from me, even maybe my enemies, I pray that they know what I'm about.
in Luke 2, verse 49, when they were looking for the 12-year-old Messiah boy named Jesus, and they couldn't find him. They found him in his father's house. And he says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? I do this wrong a lot, but I want people to know that I'm about my father's business. To glorify God. When that Messiah grows up and he's about 33 years old, in John 17 he's praying, and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. And this is eternal life, that they may know you and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Brothers and sisters, this doesn't always look hyper-religious. Earlier in Philippians, Philippians 2.13, it says this. This isn't just about empowering your personality. This isn't just about just marching forward with under your own strength. It says, it is God who works in you. And later, we'll talk about this is the work of God, to know Christ. And so I don't really think we have to know exactly what it looks like. But I am convinced it means we are continuing to press into Christ and shape our entire life knowing him and making him known. Where every conversation, every friendship, whether it happens in church or in a lobby or I actually say the name of Jesus, whether I abstain from a drink or partake in a drink, whether I commit myself to hard work and sacrificial work or whether I go have fun with friends, that underneath all of that is for the kingdom of God. Whether we live or die, we live and move and have our very being in Jesus Christ. So who are you backing? Who are you praying for? Who are you encouraging? Who are you partnering with for the advancement of the gospel? Who's growing you? Who's challenging you to walk like Jesus walked? Who in your life have you invited in that says, anytime you hear me complain, you can tell me that's not what Christ looks like. If you continue to see me nag, tell me, that's not the way of the Messiah. If you hear me starting to gossip, I want you to say, that doesn't look like Jesus on you. It starts with humility, doesn't it? We need each other just like Paul needed his friends. His whole life for the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, it could be easy, and I think it could be dangerous. Some people here are thinking about um, rising up and roaring again. And I, I pray that before the work begins... that the pressing into the relationship would grow. Where you say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. Before the advancement of the gospel goes out, it has to be in. And so I, I pray that, that, that all that hear are not hearing simply religious activity. But this is eternal life, that they may know the Father and the Son whom you have sent. And from that, we truly would be about your praise and your glory and your honor. Thank you for equipping us and for all those that are here and the voice of disqualification is in their minds. I pray against that in the name of Jesus, that they know that we are not adequate in and of ourselves, but our adequacy comes from Christ. He has not only given us an example, as we see in Philippians 2, but he's given us himself. And so let us press on to know the Lord. Amen. May my life be a song. You love to sing 
as a prayer. May my life be a song that you love to sing. A sweet fragrance rising breathed in by my King. May my words make you smile these humble praises I bring. May my life be a song, Lord, that you love to sing. Amen. God, that's our prayer. That you'd go out as we walk out of this place, that you would sing your love song through us, God make our lives that song, that fragrance we pray in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Come join us on Wednesday night.